Welcome to The Reclaimed Leader, a podcast by two pastors trying to lead their churches through revitalization and change. Their mission, to share their journey with you so it might help you in yours. And now, here, please welcome our hosts, Jason Tucker and Jesse Skiffington. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 21 of The Reclaimed Leader, helping you lead change without losing your roots. I'm Jason Tucker, here again with Jesse Skiffington. How's it going, Jesse? Doing well, Jason. Feeling uh, slightly judged by you a little bit today. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Jason, you know, we got, before we got on and, and started recording, Jason made a, a really big assumption uh, that I just want to kind of call out and draw <laughs> to his attention and do that in an accountable way with all of you. So, you know, sometimes we got to do that. But he, you know, he said, we're having Seattle weather out here in New Jersey today. And it's pouring down rain. And he assumed, by the way, that that uh, it rains all the time here in Seattle, which it, it does rain quite a lot. But there's actually, New York City gets more annual rainfall than Seattle does. And so your underlying assumption that kind of cut through to my heart a little bit. And I just wanted to kind of set the record straight about that. So, that you you know, so you have a little bit more knowledge to operate in your world. Yeah. And thank you so much for dropping that knowledge. Uh, you know, yeah. it really you're such a, you know, iron sharpens iron. You're really you're helping. <laughs> me, right. You help me through <laughs> through my flawed assumptions. Although, uh, how many more days approximately does it rain in Seattle than? about a hundred. So, um, it rains a lot more often, just not as much. So, and we were both right is what it comes Uh, down to. You know, I could live with that. We're both right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're, we're tackling assumptions today and I think it's hard not to be people who make assumptions. It's part of how we navigate the world. We have assumed knowledge about things that helps us, uh, be more efficient, uh, be more effective at our approach. When we see a stop sign, we assume people are, in fact, going to stop at the four-way stop. Uh, we see a, a street light. We make assumptions about that. There's lots of things that assumptions help us do in positive ways. And if we're not careful, uh, some types of assumptions can actually trip us up uh, and get in the way of what we're actually trying to accomplish. And this happens a lot, I think, Jason, in ministry, in the church, as we're looking at the people maybe we're preaching, you know, sharing a message with. Uh, leading a Bible study, uh, creating an environment for, we're assuming things all the time that are informing our decisions. And I think it's really crucial that every once in a while we stop and we look at those assumptions and evaluate them. Are these assumptions rooted in truth and and, and are they the right assumptions or do we need to adjust some of our thinking about uh, people that are in our, our congregations? And so looking forward to that conversation about assumptions and how we navigate uh, assumptions in the life of the church. Yeah, what what really struck me a couple of years ago uh, about assumptions that I was making was uh, a longtime member of the congregation who I would consider to be a very like mature, solid Christian um, went through the unfortunate tragedy of losing a spouse, and it was in that process, however, that for that person, it was total despair. There was no hope of the gospel in, in their spouse that, you know, was just as faithful. And it got me thinking, like, how? How is that possible? I mean, the, going to church their whole life, 
talking about, studying about the hope of the resurrection, the hope of life in Jesus Christ. And it wasn't there for them during that dark hour. And it just got me thinking that perhaps there are many who've gone to church for a long time who I've, I've made assumptions about how much they know or where they are in their faith. And so I jump in to a preaching moment or a teaching moment, skipping past the introduction, so to speak. And maybe that that's flawed thinking. And then I think on the other hand, for the unchurched person to assume that somehow they are just going to jump on board without really giving permission to be in the room. We, we talk about this too, you know, uh, our unchurched people, when they come to your worship and I, and I guess we'll start with worship because that's the low hanging fruit, right? Yeah. That's a lot mm-hmm. of assumptions are made about the people coming into our church um, on Sunday morning. And, you know, the assumption is, well, they'll jump on board with, with what we're doing. When for a lot of them, they feel like they don't know the vocabulary. There's a lot of inside baseball language and church language that they don't understand. And I think there are a lot of assumptions that I made for a long time about the people I've been preaching to. And I've been trying to systematically consider that, but it takes some work. It does take work. And it's, it's what we were trained to do in some ways, right? We, we grew up in churches or around churches, or, you know, you came to, to Christ a little later on in life, but you've been in the church for a long time. And so we adopt some of those ways of talking that uh, assume that people are at a certain place in their understanding of the Christian faith or in their walk with Jesus, that they are committed followers of Jesus and they've been in the church for a long time. So they must get it about, you know, who Jesus is and what he came to do and what that means for their lives. And, we started doing something a couple of years back, um, four or five years ago now, that um, at first it was sort of a strange thing. But uh, we would say, uh, you know, we're really glad you're here this morning. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you built your life on him by faith. That's great. We want to challenge you to continue to grow in that. And if you're here and you're not sure about the whole God thing yet, uh, and you don't really know, you know, you're kind of confused by some of the things we say and things we do. We're really glad you're here. We want to help you on that journey to understand and at first, people were kind of looking around the room like, who is he talking about? <laughs> because everybody here is a believer, right? We're all Christians. That's why we came to church. And and I don't know. In those first days, maybe there weren't any people that were that in that camp, right? Um, but it was almost like addressing that assumption that everybody was already sort of a follower of Jesus or at least to some degree a church person. By, by kind of mentioning and, and welcoming people who weren't, we were creating a, a new environment and not just assuming that's where everybody was and actually creating a space where uh, people could come and uh, engage from wherever they were. So that for us was one assumption that we tried to be honest about and address and create a space then for, uh, for the unchurched people to come and feel like they could be there and have uh, it without knowing everything yet. All right. Do you guys use any language like that, Jason, in your environments or yeah absolutely absolutely so um one thing that i will say often and i'll do it uh during the sermon intentionally is uh where there's a moment that makes sense i'll say something to the effect of and maybe not all of you in the room are even sold on the idea of jesus and and that's that's fine i'm glad you're here i'm glad you're here but uh if you're not sold on jesus i want you to consider this and then i'll you know continue but i'll say something like that to really just give permission that, 
hey, we are really glad you're here no matter where you are, even if you are a pre-Christian, uh, you know, no matter where you are, there's a place for you here and you're welcome here and we expect you here. I think that, yeah, that right. is a big, and I've heard from people that that has meant a lot to them. Sure, shifting an assumption or expectation, the, maybe the initial assumption that is that everybody that comes to church knows the church language and who Jesus is and about those things. And changing our, our assumption and saying, you know what, let's change our expectation and say, we're not going to assume that everybody knows who Jesus is and that everybody knows the lingo. And I think that over time creates an environment where then those people will actually be there if they're not already there. They probably are. I think we have people in our pews every Sunday, even in the traditional spaces of people that are curious, wondering about God. That uh, So we should, you know, we got to be careful not to assume that everybody's there. I'd say another one too that we learned um, from a few concrete examples is when we gave sort of permission for people who have been coming to church for a long time to kind of admit that they don't know much or that they have doubts or big questions. And um, I remember one story in particular, um, uh, um, a young mom was coming every week with her family and her, it was her husband's family's church. They've been coming for, you know, years since he was a kid. And so then they had kids and they brought them. And she was sitting in the in the sanctuary listening to sermon after sermon after sermon and feeling like an outsider because she wasn't sure yet. She did, wasn't sure about God yet. And she didn't know much about the Bible. And she really didn't know how to pray or just do kind of basic Christian kinds of things. And then um, at one point she had a conversation with somebody and was able to open up about that. And they said to her, you're not alone. There are people all in that sanctuary that, that have varying degrees of knowledge about the Bible. A lot of us don't know. A lot of us do have doubts and big questions and you're not alone. And she was assuming that everybody in there was sort of a, a ardent believer and really got it. And, but they didn't, they were all on a journey just like her. And so that was so freeing for her. And she was actually able to really grow from that place when she didn't assume that everybody around her had it figured out and that, she, you know, she wasn't alone. So I think addressing those assumptions out loud and saying things like, and if you've been in a church for the lo- a long time and you still you know, you feel like you don't have your, a grasp on the story yet, or you have big doubts or questions. Uh, we want to help you with that. And that's, that's okay. If that's where you are kind of deal. Yeah, that's huge. That permission giving is, is so huge, you know, and, you know, kind of on the topic of, of how, what are the assumptions we make about unchurched or new people coming to the church? Um, it's actually, it, it's a, it's related to the conversations we've been having about environments, you know, uh, what we did when we had, you know, Dr. Bob Weitzel all the way back in the very first episode of the podcast, uh, we, our church had hired him to come get some outside eyes on, on our Sunday morning experience. And, you know, this is because we knew that all the research shows that something like within the first seven minutes, someone's decided if they're going to come back, like they don't even get to the sermon before they've decided that, that they're going to come back. I guess it has to be a really good sermon. Uh, you know, for, for them to overcome it. But the, the, whether that's true or not, or if that's a, a kind of over-exaggerated statistic or not, doesn't matter because I think the principle is true. And that is uh, what's going on in the environment of your church is the message um, as much as the preaching moment and uh, the worship service is the message. So uh, when he came in, I, I mean, I'm just, you know, I'll just kind of get real granular here to help folks understand what we're talking about. You know, we have all sorts of assumptions that first of all, people are being greeted. Well, we have greeters at the door. 
So are they being greeted? But more than that, are they being engaged? Are, are, you know, are people engaging with them when they come in uh, to worship? Do they know where to go? Is there good signage? Uh, do they understand if they have kids, do they understand our Sunday school process, which is, um, it needs explanation. So the way that we do it, our kids get dismissed from the worship service and then the parents go pick them up. Now there's a couple of problems with that model. Uh, one is that if the parents don't know where the Sunday school classes are, uh, first of all, they're not going to really want to let their kid go. And second, how are they going to know where to go pick them up? So we overcome that by we, we tell them they can follow their kid to the class, escort them there so they know where to pick them up. Just come back when that process is over. And then on communion Sundays, we tell them we bring the kids back to you. But it requires some explanation. They're just not going to intuitively know how that works, which before it was left to intuition to figure out how our Sunday school process. We're going to haul your kids off in some unknown direction and they may or may not come back and you may or may not ever find (laughs) it. That's right. I I mean, seriously. So it's so good, Jason, because I think just let's pause over that for a second, because I think if people now, if church people come in, if you're a church person and you're, you know, you're moved to a new community, you're checking out churches or you're, you know, dissatisfied and you're checking out churches, you kind of know how churches roll and you know what we do. And so some of those things that are, we sort of are assuming people should know, you can kind of overcome that stuff. And and we have church people come in and they can't find out how to get into a group, but they figure it out because they know how church works. But if you as a family, if somebody invited you or you finally worked up the courage to get up and take your family to a church and you've never really been before or hadn't been in a long time, and you didn't know those things, man, is that a barrier to you ever coming back or feeling comfortable at all? And uh, so that's one of those things that I think you're, you know, I know you guys have worked on that to try to really make, say it out loud, how this, is how it works so that people can feel at ease and enjoy the experience rather than be stressed out by it. Yeah. And the other thing is um, for people who've been going to church for a while, they always think their church is friendly. We have such a welcoming, friendly church. Well, that's just because they talk to their friends. Right. So they feel welcomed. Right. And, but for a lot of people, even when uh, when Dr. Weitzel was here, there were some Sundays that went by that nobody engaged him and he would just be standing, uh, you know, out in the narthex and nobody would engage him. And he's like, um, all right, well, you need to be a little more welcoming. You, you need to be going, making sure that people have their radar up, not in a creepy way. Cause that's, that's the other extreme that nobody yeah. wants. We're just, you just stuff. Yeah, you don't the want the person. salesman's right. job. Yeah. You don't want that. Right. Yeah, for sure. What are they- you don't want to suffocate, <laughs> but you want to acknowledge, right? What do yeah. they call it? Uh, uh, I once heard it's the church that follows you home. You know, it's just like, Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Knocks on your door, right. When you pull yeah. into your driveway. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I really, Oh, I apologize to any church that's doing that now. I know it's not bad. You just be thoughtful, be yeah. thoughtful about not being too invasive. Uh, yeah. You want to welcome. And if it's part of who, what you do and how you do it, yeah. just be thoughtful about the experience on the other end. It might feel good to do that. I think today, especially the younger crowd, we don't like when people show up at our door. Uninvited. Isn't that funny? It just, it just is. I, I know generationally it might work. If yeah. you have some baby boomers popping in, go for it. They'll love it. But let me just tell you, this is a generic number. I'm going to throw out. I'd say 45, 50 and under solicitation is not something we enjoy. So um, just be mindful of that. There's great ways to welcome people, send them some things in the mail from the children's program or acknowledge that they were there. But um, maybe the the knocking on the door thing 
is a little more than they're ready for. But uh, yeah, sorry if we stopped on anybody. <laughs> I know. I thought about it as you I know. said it, but but really, I've heard so much feedback about it that makes me wary yeah. of that that approach. That's right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. but then the other thing is, again, with with that, it's about communication. What is it that you're communicating? Uh, just try to take take churchy language out of how you communicate from up front. Even like I, I've <laughs> I put a ban on the word narthex. Because I don't know if there's a more churchy word than that, but it's so insider, like, what what the heck's a narthex? I was actually working for a Presbyterian church for years before I knew what a narthex was. I'm like, do you mean the foyer? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, That's right. So, so yeah. we say lobby, foyer, yeah. whatever, in a, you know, so that people know what the heck we're talking about. People know what it is. It's about communication. But we assume right? they get it, you know. That's go right. to the yeah. parlor. Go to the fellowship hall. You know, I mean, people might find their way there, but they don't know what the heck you're talking That's about. That's right. We've um, we've called our main gathering area outside of the sanctuary, the fellowship area for a long time. And it's just what people have called it. And we noticed something though. And it's just it's still that you can find that language on our website and stuff. And I was reading back through some things and I was like, man, this is a massive assumption. One that it, there's no signs anywhere that call it the fellowship area. It's just the area outside of the sanctuary in which we have coffee and the kids kiosk and all that stuff and the connection corner and all these things that we have out there, but there's no signs that say that's, that's what it is. (laughs) It's just what we've called it. And then, so we say in the, on the website, at one point it says, if you're new and you're coming, we'd love to connect with you. You can find our kids kiosk in the fellowship area (laughs) outside of the sanctuary. And we're assuming something that we've never made known to anybody with signs or anything. And so um, anyway, I just, that was one, as we were talking about this, I, I looked at our website and I said, man, that was a big assumption, right? That we need to address and figure out not only is it church, a church word in there, but uh, there's no signage to indicate that's, that's what it is. And so yeah. it can be confusing. Yeah. Pivoting a little bit to more of a theological issue with assumptions on a Sunday morning. Um, I think this probably is more geared toward, toward what, who we would call the church people. And that is, um, we make a lot of assumptions about where people are spiritually, you know, kind of like um, that longtime member who lost, lost their spouse. There's a lot of assumptions that we make as we are preaching God's word. And I think the biggest assumption is this. I mean, if you go to Romans 10 and, and you take Paul's words seriously in verse 9, He says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What I hear in that is is twofold. You believe it, but you also got to say it. Salvation is, is a process. It's a process of understanding on a journey of faith, no doubt. No doubt. But it's also a moment a moment where you speak it, a moment where you say it. And at least us with Reformed theology, we definitely believe, you know, you, you baptize a baby, that's why you have confirmation, so that they can say it. The process begins when they're a child, but it, they got to say it. There's, both have to happen. And you think about that just relationally. In any relationship, that's true, right? You can't just believe that you love your wife. You have to say it, <laughs> right? You would better, you better say, say it. Say that's it. For that's right. Answer. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a both and. I think the assumption that we make for church people is that they've had their moment already before they've come into the room because they've been around for so long. Surely somebody would have given them a moment 
to say it. And what I discovered recently when I gave an invitation at the end of a service was that that's not the case. In fact, I heard from some longtime members who said, and I'm sure, I don't know if this is factually true, but at least this is their perception. They said, since coming to this church since about 1960, they had never heard an invitation from up front. Never. Now, I have a hard time believing a never, but it must mean it's pretty, it's a rarity. And I heard from many who said they so appreciated the moment because the way that I did it was, um, you know, I did the Presbyterian version where, you know, we didn't have anybody come up, you know, <laughs> it wasn't that kind of altar call, but, but I did a repeat after me prayer and encouraged everybody to say it as a rededication or a dedication. And then, um, but people commented that, Hey, you know, I consider myself a Christian, but to say it is powerful. And I, and I, Thank you for that opportunity. It just reminded me of the assumption that everybody's had their moment and that on the flip side, that an that a unchurched person or an unbeliever that we hope is in the room is just going to get on board with the process. <laughs> um, so I think occasionally thinking of, of Sunday morning as that opportunity to speak into the process and the moment of faith there's something to that that I think is really important. Yeah. And particularly in our, you know, denominational context, probably, right. Um, I think out there in the non-denom world, maybe, or um, certain versions of in the Baptist world, the Pentecostal world, the altar call is a common reality. And uh, I kind of, I grew up in a world where, you know, altar calls were pretty frequent and, uh, you know, where the same person who gave their life to Christ last week did it again this week. And you kind of wonder about that and whatever. And so I think there's some assumptions on, on that end of things too. But if we never provide the opportunity, never create a moment where someone can say, yes, I, Jesus, I do want to follow you and I want you to be Lord of my life. And I believe the things that are written about you in the Bible to be true for me and for my life. And so those things are to create that moment, I think, um, is, is crucial and not to just assume that everybody's already there or that somehow, you know, some of our past baggage with altar calls is emotionally manipulative or whatever. And say using that process language, well, salvation is a process and we'll get there. I think it's really crucial. So I I've, I've taken that from you, Jason, we did want to uh, uh, just after you did. And it was the same kind of thing. It was informal at the end and hopefully nobody felt pressured or whatever, but just providing an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And you never know uh, where someone is going to be at and you should never assume uh, that they are already have had that moment or don't want that moment or whatever. So, By the way, I'm going nice to commit a horrible heresy right now. And, you know, so everybody, it. everybody hang, hang tight. You might want to sit down. Uh, there's something that Joel Osteen does that I think is really great. All right. You are trying to ruin our podcast. Wow. Uh, how's that? No, go ahead. Well, okay. what is it? I like it. Yeah. So I'm sitting down, the, Jason. I'm sitting down. At the, at the end of every message, he has an opportunity for people to have a moment. And he said at the, he ends every message with a prayer you know, it's it's a believer's kind of prayer. I actually think that's really cool that that he does that, that he gives that opportunity at the end of each message. 
I, no, I don't listen to him often, but every message that I've ever listened to of his and uh, regardless of how I felt about the message, I always enjoyed how he's ended it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I, and it's sort of a curiosity, right? Like, how is he so incredibly listened to? And so I'll listen, you know, OK, what's he doing? And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that that I would never do. But but I think what he does at the end, he's getting right. So there you go, yeah. everybody. Let your part the fact come that in. Jesus, yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> Don't leave a bad review. It's Jason's fault. It's not my <laughs> they fault. probably already shut but it off. I do think, but we should honestly be looking for what is good in the things that we don't resonate with. And, the, you know, that Jesus is, is key to that landing point is, is good. And I think that's important. I think the other thing from that world that's sort of more highly produced, um, you know, mass audience sorts of preaching is that the language is very common. Uh, it's understandable. It's accessible language. It's not all the, the church lingo and the, the, some of the words that we choose to use as, as Presbyterians, which are good, I think, you know, theological words um, are really helpful. But if we don't stop to unpack them in layman's terms or just practical language, I think we miss something. And yeah. so I do appreciate that. I, I love that about uh, sort of the Andy Stanley world and their approach that it's, they want it to be memorable and portable and accessible to people. And it doesn't mean it has to be shallow, but we should say things in a way that people can understand clearly. And sometimes theological language that maybe we know as pastors, or if you're a really committed lifelong church person, you get deep down. Not everybody does, and it can cause people to tune out. And so it, I think that coming back to the language stuff in preaching, um, it's important to, to pull people deeply into the theology into who God is, what it means, what he means for their lives and to not pull punches on that stuff, but to not make it unnecessarily difficult to understand. Yeah. And we can, you know, use some language to help us do that. And so that's something I'm always thoughtful about. Um, if I'll go, you know, I'll ask my wife, Callie, I'll say, you know, I'm going to talk about sanctification on Sunday. I don't ever use that word hardly because it's a word that cut people go, Sanctify what? Like they're out, right? Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of great ways to talk about sanctification without necessarily using that word. You know, the work of the Holy Spirit to help us live more Jesus way in this world or, and as we grow in that, you know, that's, you know, there's ways to talk about it that, that you can present a, a deep theological concept without uh, losing your audience. So um, anyway, that was a little bit of a roundabout from the Joel Osteen thing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for bailing us out. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, but I, I think that is an excellent point because I know that as seminarians, and I know all you pastors out there, I know that that you love this too. There's something about hanging hanging with your buddies, your seminary buddies, and just just talking theology, and and it's it's very like soul lifting. It's fun. It's, um, I don't know. There's something about it that's, that's really awesome, but there's nothing more annoying than seminary language, like for, for the congregation, like, and, and how do you know, if you ever use the phrase ushering in the kingdom of God, you're using seminary language. So that, that was a joke. Yeah. It wasn't very funny, but yeah. It was funny. I laughed a little bit. I'm still, I'm, I'm still recovering from where we've been recently, but I think it's good. It's important for us to be thinking about our language and um, what's the goal of a message. It's to communicate in an accessible and understandable way. 
the good news of who Jesus is, what Jesus means for our lives, what this passage is saying to us today. And, and so I do think people are hungry for depth though, right? Yeah. Um, we don't have to pull that stuff out uh, in order to make Christianity, you know, more palatable to people or yeah, something. That's not that at we all what that. we're Absolutely. saying. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, that, that is a, a turnoff for people we, we find. They, they want to, they want to hear the deep truths of, of who Jesus is. And even if they're not sure yet, um, and our people who are in the church, they need to hear that. They need to be challenged to grow and to go more deeply, but to do it in a way that is practical and accessible. So, you know, I think that practical piece, if, if we're honest, that's where, where we are challenged the most. How do we make it come down to live in kind of in someone's real life? And, um, that, that's a really big challenge. Just when, you know, it's a struggle to get that language sometime or to think of that example um, that will help them to really live it. So what, what are some other assumptions, Jesse, that that you've been, you know, kind of working through or have discovered as you've been, you know, whether it's Sunday morning or just your approach uh, at, you know, the way that you uh, even the way that you might market your church or talk about your church. I mean, what are some other assumptions that you that you have well we we've hit on a whole bunch that we've worked through and still working through um a lot of times our new the folks that are new into marine view um they have trouble figuring out how to navigate where to go what to do all those things kind of similar to you know what you you're sharing earlier with your with tower hill uh and we just sort of assume that people will figure it out or um or find a way to get connected and plugged into community in the church and um, that's a hard thing to overcome because um, people, um, I think sometimes they come and they get used to it and, and it's not a challenge for them anymore. And so it's hard to think of it as a challenge for someone else to get connected or plugged in. So, you know, again, all that stuff about signage and what we say in the bulletin and how we over communicate the basic stuff is, is really crucial. Um, and then I think too, out there, when we're thinking about, you know, how do we, how are we perceived out there in the community? if you don't ask anybody, you'll never know. Right. And so I think for us, it's, it's been trying to be more proactive about kind of getting a, a feel from, of, from our community about how people feel about us as a congregation. Um, are you glad that we're here? What would you miss if we're gone? Um, what could we offer that would make you want to do something with us? Um, but we, you know, we, we're just kind of starting to have those sorts of conversations. And I think we've assumed for a long time that people are, either neutral about having us here or kind of glad that there's a church down the corner, but not knowing too much more than that. So there's a, there's a couple things. The one that personally I think is most challenging for leaders, pastors, maybe like me anyway, or maybe like you, Jason, is that this sort of, if we paint a really compelling vision and if we get really people really excited about what we're trying to do as a church, that that'll fix everything and we'll all move forward and we'll immediately grow and it'll be great. Yeah. And I think you and I both learned along the way that that assumption of a a vision and a direction is a crucial part of the process, but without corresponding strategy and planning and careful thinking behind that vision, uh, it won't be enough. So a tagline isn't going to get you there. Um, I don't know where we've heard this before. Uh, it, maybe we've shared it on here, but the, the vision on the wall is only as good as the system down the hall. That's probably a North Point thing because we borrow everything cool from North Point basically. But um, right. So we got to figure out how to, to build strategies that will help us live our, our vision. And so that was a, 
that's been a learning thing for me along the way that a compelling vision statement is great, but it's not enough to, to carry you forward. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a really excellent point because that's an assumption I know that I've, I've definitely made that, you know, if you, if you work on crafting the right, the right compelling vision, then things are just going to move forward. And, and that compelling vision just doesn't replace the leadership required to do that. In fact, you know, a compelling vision is nothing without a compelling strategy with compelling outcomes. Um, and, and that takes work and that takes time. And That's right. I'll give you an example of where that worked really well for us um, recently. We, I, I would say as we went into this fall, we were definitely feeling like we had lost some momentum. It used to be, and I think we talked about this before, it used to be that fall was the time that everybody revved back up and got back to church. But what we found in the last few years is that a lot of our young families had their biggest sports commitments in the fall. And actually our numbers are down from uh, other times of the year. And we were definitely feeling like um, there was a lack of a compelling vision strategy outcomes. And in November we did uh, the Be Rich campaign uh, you know, this comes from from North Point. And for those who don't know of this campaign, actually, you know, many, many churches do it that are non-North Point churches because it's just such a great program, is you're basic, it's basically a stewardship program that raises money to be given away to a local, uh, to local mission organizations. And so you don't keep a dime of it. And we went through, so it's a sermon series. It's, you know, it's a, it's a all church campaign. And it's a very clear, compelling vision, strategy, outcome. And, uh, you know, we, we put our thing in, a th- in the three buckets, you know, about, about giving, about serving, and about giving your thirty nine ninety five that's going to go out to the local mission. And we were able to surprise our local mission with a check for almost $12,000. And we recorded it and it, you know, blew their mind. We caught their reaction and then we played it in church. And the whole you know, beginning to end of that, uh, I felt like was, was a springboard into December that we carried so much momentum, it felt, into December. And then December is the momentum building month anyway. But usually January for us, um, you know, the momentum of, of the holidays are over and it just kind of like you feel like you go back a few steps and then you're kind of ramping up again toward Easter. This year was different. This year, it felt like we never lost momentum in January. Uh, and, you know, we've seen steady growth throughout the month. And I think a lot of it had to do with the compelling November. Uh, it was so clear and so focused and so good that it really drove people. And we heard from a lot of people who started coming in November, December, who came back and kept coming in January. And so that, you know, that has us thinking, you know, it's not just enough to have the compelling vision. It, you got to put it in front of people. This is the vision. This is how we're going to do it. And this is what we hope happens. And, right. and now I'm thinking about that with like all different things that we're doing. Yeah. Well, and I think what you, what you landed on there, what's cool about that, that particular series and, and, uh, and be rich is that there is a, there is a clear outcome. There's a compelling outcome that is measured and everybody can celebrate and see it. And um, maybe part of our work is to, to stop, assuming that people know that uh, what the outcomes are of the things that we're trying to ask them to do and to, to kind of get some, some clear examples of what that could be numbers of hours served or uh, you know, whatever, uh, whatever it can be. But, 
Um, I think it's really important. So I appreciate you sharing that because I think a lot of the times we get stuck in vision land, maybe get to some strategy and thinking, but um, we have big ideas, but carrying them through to create momentum is is crucial um, and important. Another assumption that we talked about that we haven't mentioned here yet, and I think this is one where really Becky Lana, a couple episodes, got our attention with this one. Um, We were talking about the younger crowd, the millennial generation, and what they're hoping for, looking for in a congregation. And and what we're finding out more and more that they're not looking, looking for a flashy church experience and a high end experience that they want relationships, that they are relationally driven, not attractionally driven yeah. as, as much as maybe uh, some earlier generations. And so that, that we, you know, part of the assumption has been if we create a really cool space, then they're going to flock to it or something, but it's the relationships themselves that'll be uh, compelling. And so, uh, that that's another assumption I think we need to look at and be honest about and say, okay, uh, we need to create a good experience when they're here. It needs to be a nice physical environment and we need to be thoughtful of those things. But the relational piece is crucial to reaching them. Absolutely. And she was so great with that. Um, if, if you yeah. haven't, uh, if our listeners haven't listened to Becky Lana's uh, episode, um, it, it was so good because she does, she, she talks about that. She says it's what she, what she's seeing and finding in millennials is that if anybody in your church shows any interest in them, like they, they'll come back, they'll come back. It's, it's totally relational. But then as Michael Hottie said a couple episodes ago, um, they're not impressed by technology, but they expect it. So, right. you know, yeah. it's just, it's part of the wallpaper. It's kind of, it's both. Yeah. It, it needs to be. It, yeah. But we're not going to get them with the fancy light. Exactly. Show if there's no relationship to back it up. Exactly. Uh, and so um, I like that. I think that tells us as established churches, we have a resource in our people that is more compelling than the things that we present uh, up front and, and to help encourage our congregation. When you reach out and uh, welcome someone and they don't let Bob Weitzel stand in the lobby all by himself, you know, when you poor just Bob. engage with people, that goes a long way. Yeah, poor Bob. Uh but uh, yeah, I mean, that, that is so true. And I think when, you know, it's always fun after service or in between segments here at Marine View, we're walking around looking for new people and then seeing those new people already talking to other people and going, oh, good. Uh, I didn't have to be the one to engage them. They're, they're, that's already happening. That culture of welcome, I think, is, is a winning environment. And I think it can be a a big strength of established churches with multiple generations. When someone who is older, more seasoned in life stops to acknowledge you and welcome you without an agenda, but just genuinely glad that you're there. That's a huge deal. We have a guy, Bill Tidwell. Um, He's just, he's just great. And he has this way of relating to the younger crowd in this winsome, welcoming, jokey, but great way that just helps them feel at home and at ease. And so I think this is something that the intergenerational church community can do in a way that may be more difficult in just a more homogenous group. So uh, this can be a strength of, of, of a congregation that it's, it's more than we welcome each other. We welcome uh, those that are new and you have to come back and address that assumption with people though. Do not assume that there are no new people here this morning. Yeah. And what that means is you don't get to be in your huddle anymore after church. You don't get to just talk to your friends anymore. And that's a challenge that um, 
not everybody's ready for, but if you put it out there for them, at least to get some thinking that direction. Oh, wait, you mean I shouldn't just only talk to my friends on Sunday? Yeah, maybe I can look out for somebody new and, and be a part of welcoming them. So, uh, you know, it's a really welcoming church when you talk to your buddies and that's all you ever talk to. But there might be somebody that you're missing because you're huddled up with your closest friends. Yeah, that's great. Um, <clears throat> there's one more assumption that I had thought about that's um, it's a little bit different. I mean, it's all related, but one of the assumptions has to do with when we did our capital campaign. Um, the assumption is that new people to church don't give. They don't give as much and they don't give as soon. Now, that assumption is actually based on research that it takes longer, particularly for an un- unchurched person, but younger generations, it takes them longer to warm up to giving than it maybe once did. They would rather not tithe or, or they don't think about it as tithing. They're, it, it's usually like they need to feel compelled uh, you know, to give to, again, something compelling, a vision, mission, strategy. But but the assumption is, you know, they don't have as much money. They're not going to give as generously as the longtime folks that we're trying to not make angry because then <laughs> then they won't give anymore. We actually, I, I found this to be an assumption that was just completely wrong. Uh, when we did our capital campaign, it was the the newer, younger generation that gave the most. And more than that, after they fulfilled, then it was, well, they're not going to all fulfill their, their pledges. They did. Many, you know, most of them did. But then they, they who had never given regularly to, to the church, they just kept their giving going and directed it to the church. They became tithers. Yeah. Uh, the assumption is wrong. I think the, the data shows that, you, that there's a barrier there right, that you have to get around. But if, if, but if it's a compelling vision, mission, strategy, outcomes, they will give. They will give. Yeah, yeah. We've, we found that to be true too. And I think um, in that, you said something that, you know, we, we worry about making the people who give and pay our bills, so to speak, um, angry or frustrated with us. And I would say this, I don't know if this is true in every case, and there might be some people with deep pockets out there that are just resistant to change. And they give just because that's what you do or some measure of control or something. But what we found in our experience, and we might be isolated and I don't know, but when we began to paint a vision and talk about the things we wanted to do and began to move toward change, the people that were giving generously and regularly, even from the older generations, they were invested in the life of the church. They want to see the, the, the Marine View congregation thrive for another generation. And as hard as some of the change has been, and as much as they've had to navigate through it, the people that were giving generously continued to do that. And the people that ended up leaving the life of the church, not always, but a large, a large portion of them were not our most generous givers. They, some of them weren't giving at all or very, very little, and they weren't invested. And so what I would just, as maybe a word of encouragement, the, the people that are, are giving generously and are consistent and tithing and those things, they want the mission of the church to succeed. That's, that's their heart. And even if they don't quite know what that means or how that should happen, or they have a vision of the past because they remember it, um, that you can get to their hearts and that they'll, they'll follow, they'll follow that direction. Um, we've also experienced with the younger crowd too, um, that some of the folks that are coming in, are, 
you know, already have that discipline of giving. Yeah. From another disciple, you know, another church part of they were part of or something. And, um, and so it's been fun to watch those giving patterns as they go along. But, um, yeah, I think that's one of those assumptions. Young people don't give, yeah. you know, most of our giving must come from the older crowd. Um, that's just, just not true in our case. And it doesn't sound like it's completely true in your case either. And, and I'll just say just to, I just thought of this. I was on the phone this week with, uh, with a friend of mine, uh, who is a, uh, just recently graduated college. She's out in Dallas, uh, with her very first adult job and with her first paycheck, she was so excited to tithe and wow. she tithed it. And she said she, it was such a great feeling that she finally got to tithe. Like, like an adult paycheck, like a like legitimate. A, a, yeah. Pay, yeah. That's yeah. awesome. And, uh, and it's just a reminder, man. Like, I, I don't think people are, I don't think young people are against it. It's yeah. There's an assumption there that we just need to think critically about or that somehow they're going to be offended by it. Or, you know, I think we still want to be careful with, you know, uh, the way we present an offering on a Sunday morning. Cause sure. assuming again, that there are new people that aren't church people that maybe have come in and, and their church experience was give me money or, whatever. And, you know, money in the church is always a complicated deal. Uh, and so I think you want to create a lot of permission too. that, if, you know, if you're new or a guest, we're glad you're here. Don't feel any pressure or obligation about giving. We don't want the financial part of the church to get in the way of your growing faith. We're just, we're glad to have you here. And for some of us, we feel God is calling us to give. And so that's one of the ways we worship and acknowledge that everything we have belongs to him and we get to be a part of his work in this world. And so we're going to give and worship in that way this morning. But like, I think there's ways of doing it where you can emphasize the importance of giving without beating people up about it or just assuming that they know what it means. We had a, right. somebody come to our, we call it covenant partnership in, uh, in eco, um, but it's our membership classes. And somebody came to the class and we always present it as come learn more about the church, get to meet me as the pastor and decide if this is the thing for you to do to sign I'm up. In. I'm in right yeah. now. Yeah. Come on. I come on, Jason. The pastor. Yeah. Yeah. But they, so people come and they check it out. But after one of them, uh, a guy came and he and his family had been, they were newer. Uh, his wife had grown up in church. He was sort of in and out of church, but they thought now we have a kid that's getting a little older. They need a good moral foundation. So we're going to come to church. So they were coming and a lot of the permission language was really important for them. And he pulled me aside afterwards and he said, so what's, what's the membership fee? (laughs) <laughs> like his, he just had no idea. He was not a church guy, right? So he thought that when you signed up to be a, a member, a covenant partner, that there's a membership fee, just like the other clubs and things out there, like the gym, you know, you pay a fee to the That's gym, wild. you pay a fee to the church. And I, it was just interesting to, to talk with them and say, Hey, no, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Decide in your heart what you're going to give and then give that. And he was like, really? I was like, yeah, that's, that's it. And so I think there is some teaching that we can do to help people, again, not assuming that they even know what it means when we talk about giving in the life of the church. And that tithing, that, you know, 10% is, it's a, it's a concept in scripture, but what Paul seems to point to is the, it's not necessarily the amount, it's the, what's in your heart and all those kinds of things. And so we, we, we talk about giving a lot, but we try to do it in helpful ways, um, where we say, uh, you know, the re- one of the reasons God wants you to give is it protects your heart from greed, from stuff. <laughs> and um, when you give something out of your paycheck, the very first thing you say, paycheck, this is what I'm going to do to you to show you that you don't own me and that my life 
is not gauged by how much or how little of you I have. I'm going to give some of you away. That's the very first thing I'm going to do and sort of protects you, your, you know, you from that. And so we try to talk about in ways that help create a vision for giving and generosity. That's more than we need to pay the bills. Yeah. Um, um, and try to talk about the impact of stuff, but that's good. Good stuff, man. You know, I think just as a general rule, you know, when you're thinking about the assumptions that we're making as pastors or church leaders, I mean, the important thing is that the issue is that assumptions are a barrier to truth, or they can be. And if you don't know things as they really are, you can't affect change on those things. You can't be intentional about leading those things to a certain place, whether it's uh, environments, programs, or people. You just, you simply can't, unless you know things for what they really are or know people for where they really are, it's going to be really hard to speak into their lives in a meaningful way. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to encourage our leaders. What are the assumptions that you make that you don't realize you're making uh, in your ministry? What are some assumptions that you think would be important to share? I want to encourage you to share them with us. Um, again, Jason at reclaimleader.com, Jesse at reclaimleader.com. Let us know. Uh, we want to I mean, listen, the collective wisdom of our listeners is probably staggering. Um, That's right. And I'd love, I'd love to hear what, what some of the things are that, that our folks are thinking of. Um, you know, just like me, assuming that Seattle has more rain than, uh, than New Jersey, uh, there are some things that just aren't true, even though they look to be perfectly true. They do. Uh, and I got to tell you that Seattle is far and away a more depressing place to live through the month. <laughs> There is a thing called seasonal affective disorder that we all suffer from. <laughs> we have happy lamps here that make vitamin D grow in our bodies. Well, or and whatever. you have great coffee to keep you awake. So And lots of coffee to keep us awake. Yeah. So, Well, next week, Jason, we're going to have a chance to hear from uh, two folks that are on my staff team here. Very uh, glad to have them come and share from some of their experiences. They're newer to our staff team. And talk about assumptions. You know, when you think of youth workers, some particular kinds of things come to mind. and they aren't always good. Uh, uh, there's always, so it seems like there's always some challenges there. But Andy and Katie have come into our life and have helped change my mind about the youth ministry world and the environments that we can create to reach young people with the good news of Jesus. And it's been amazing to partner with them, and they have a lot to share with uh, all of you and with us about how they're going about that. They're, they're thinking behind their strategy and I think there'll be an encouragement to you. Hope you'll have a chance to tune in. If you have youth workers on your staff or folks that you want to kind of help generate a vision for youth ministry, um, tune in and then uh, hopefully you'll get a chance to share that with them. So really looking forward to having Andy and Katie on uh, next time around. It's going to be great. And I want to encourage all you out there, you know, if you're listening in real time, we are in the middle of Lent. I pray that God blesses you during this season and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Reclaimed Leader. Join us next time for more insights, interviews, and resources to help you in your leadership journey. 